On the programme this week, it's fly-tipping that's coming home to roost for those caught doing it. Clearly the penalty system isn't fit for purpose. Plus, with the heat and dry conditions continuing, what kind of harvest can we expect this year? Yeah, I can't predict the weather. It's happened before and a harvest will come in. But how good it will be is open to question. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Hello. Fly tipping. It's a scourge on our countryside and it's costing those in farming a lot of money to tidy up other people's waste. This week, the Environment Agency revealed a third of illegally dumped waste is from households and is stressing that those found not using registered waste carriers will face action. A month ago, one fly tipper was fined £400 after dumping her waste in a farm gateway. She was caught after a camera used for filming wildlife caught her in the act. Videos had uh, well over a million views online. It wasn't too long before someone recognised the woman who then voluntarily went to her council offices and admitted all, paying the fine and taking the caution. So far, so good, except while she's paid a fine, the farmer involved still had to pay to clear up the waste. And that's a big part of the problem at the moment. Uh, Ben Underwood is from the CLA. Now, we know DEFRA Secretary Michael Gove may be considering new measures soon, Are you hoping things might change, Ben? Yes, I have to say, I mean, we've done a lot of work on this. Clearly, the penalty system isn't fit for purpose. Um, We are pushing fundamentally to change the fact that a landowner has to bear the cost when they are a victim of fly-tipping in terms of removing the waste. And I'm beginning to feel that the government are taking that on board. I think the extent of fly-tipping now has moved from not just a nuisance but to a serious economic burden to many of our members and and I think that now is felt loud and clear in government and I think watch this space on that there was a release last week that um, Michael Gove is doing a piece of work in terms of looking into um, how we can try and um, reduce fly tipping uh, both both ends of the spectrum so preventative but also um, the penalties at the other end in terms of catching people and I think it will be a coordination of that sort of work going forward that, that will help reduce this blight on the countryside. What will be the best solution? What will be the ideal for Michael Gove to stand up and say that would make your members happy? Well I mean ultimately I think in the immediate term our members don't want to have to bear the cost of cleaning it up unfortunately I don't think that will necessarily solve the issue overnight because there's one trailer thought that suggests that if farmers then are known to get a, a handout for, for, for cleaning it up then of course it just exacerbates the issue so it, it does have to be across the spectrum but I also think we need to fundamentally look at how how these waste sites work now. We've got so obsessed with charging these entrance fees and taxes that almost it's counterintuitive because I actually think if you did the maths in terms of the overall cleanup cost now it probably outweighs the income they get at the gates at the civic sites where they dump the waste. So it, 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 it needs a holistic sort of look and I, I can't help thinking at the moment with DEFRA under the stress and uh, chaos it's in in terms of Brexit but slightly find it difficult to, to, to deal with these sort of other fundamental issues and you know Brexit's important but we can't stop thinking about all these other important things in the countryside. So. Ben Underwood at the CLA well he mentioned the B word obviously we're now nine months away from exiting the EU albeit with a transitional period. Uh, we are promised an agricultural bill by the end of this month as well as farming Minister George Eustace told us just a fortnight ago. We had our consultation. We had a huge number of responses, um, 44,000. We're now in the process of um, digesting all of those and working up the clauses of an agriculture bill. And the uh, intention at the moment is to probably introduce that before the summer recess, before the end of July. And then it will be debated in earnest when Parliament returns in the autumn. So, Ben, what, what are you hoping for there? 
I think the fundamental message we get is we fully understand changes ahead. Um, I think generally as an industry, that's not new territory. We're used to change. Uh, and, and I think we're up for embracing that change. But I think what we're really trying to say to government is lo- let's not rush this process. Mm. Let's make sure we have an idea of what we want to change to before we char- start that transition process. So businesses have time to adapt. And I think one of the most fundamental comments members make is that if government really do want all of these environmental objectives to be achieved, and we're, we're certainly keen to, to, to be part of that delivery, then fundamentally there needs to be money in the rural economy and fundamentally agriculture is at the heart of that and so we need a profitable agricultural industry to be able to support a lot of these environmental activities that the government are aspiring to achieve. What we're really saying is is that uh, we understand in these cash-strapped times that any money spent, public money spent, needs to be justified. And I think what we're really saying is, is that every person on this small island we live on benefits from the wonderful environment and countryside that we have here. And, and actually, that money that's been going into the cap uh, previously to be spent on securing a, a, a good, um, clean countryside and good environment going forward is probably money well spent. And I think, I think generally every mem- a member of the public I speak to agrees with that. Lots of discussions taking place. Are they listening, though? Is the government, the ministers, the MPs, are they actually listening? You know, we, you read the, the Michael Gove reports and it seems like if a farm makes a pound, then it's in profit. Well, that's not going to be sustainable, is it? Yeah, I think you're, you're right to highlight on that. I, I, I'm really concerned that every government report, review that's coming out is, is generally environment-focused. We take the environment incredibly seriously. We're up for for all of that but actually fundamentally the government still haven't come forward with a food delivery policy for the future and that's deeply concerning Um, and I think also there's a fundamental misunderstanding on the current economics of farming and even some of the most efficient agricultural businesses in the last couple of years have struggled to make it pay and I think for the government to uh, turn their back on that industry over a very short period of time would be a massive mistake. And I also think there's a, a, a big area of work to be done in terms of shortening the supply chain. We are not going to win the race to the bottom in terms of producing a tonne of wheat for the world commodity uh, market. We need to actually be saying what what other niche markets are there out there across the world that we can do better than anyone else that we should be tapping in and supplying to. They are both domestic markets and international markets. But some of the examples more locally are obviously sugar beet is a good one but growing for Adnams in this part of the world or Hellman's uh, with with the oral sea rape contract it's about locking in and I see many members now saying they don't grow any crop and they don't drill any crop without knowing they're getting a 10% premium at the minimum because they know their end market and they're locked in and that's how they're planning their business to go forward. A double helping of Ben Underwood from the CLA. How's the weather affecting the grain markets? Let's find out. The man in the know from Open Field is Chris Spratt. Well, a bit like me, really. The crops are struggling with the heat. It's OK <laughs> if you sat at the poolside in the shade with a beer, but not too good if you stood out all day, or even sat behind a desk for that matter. Uh, like we know, crops are under a lot of stress and, and the potential is starting to suffer, I think, especially on the lighter soil types, um, further south in the country anyway. Harvest started in the south, too early to draw any conclusions, especially on these early samples, but I'm sure we'll start to see results coming through fairly rapidly over the next couple of weeks. 
Some of my colleagues uh, further south have reported several combine fires already because, of course, the straw's so dry as it's being thrashed through the combine and it's it's uh, catching light. So there's always a challenge, always a challenge. Um, trading highlights, well, we've had a raft of downgrades of crop estimates over the last seven to ten days. And really, the markets are feeling decidedly bullish following sharp revisions by uh, strategy grains, European analysts uh, of the French uh, wheat forecast for 1819. They've cut about 4.5 million tonnes from their previous production number, uh, from 37 million tonnes down to 33, something like that. So, And that's against last year's 36. So their revision comes after recent crop tours across France, and they feel quite confident with that figure at the moment. This was followed later on in the week. We saw downgrades in some of the Baltic states by around about 900,000 tonnes. In, in Germany, their National Farm Association, which is really the equivalent of our NFU, uh, knocked their wheat harvest estimate from 24 down to 20.5 million, so 3.5 million tonne decrease there. So not surprising. We've seen a rally in values with consumers now starting to make inquiries and, and really as we approach harvest, growers reluctant to place too much more wheat until we see the outcome of, of, of uh, you know, our domestic situation. Old crop wheat, well, that really hasn't followed the rally uh, in new crop um, to the same extent. I think largely due to the fact that, you know, with the earlier harvest looming, old crop supplies may not have to stretch out quite as far as we thought, even just a month or so ago. So uh, that, that's, uh, that's now trading at a bit of a discount to the, uh, to the new crop. Uh, in uh, in Russia, they've uh, been quoting initial yields of 4.12 tonne to the hectare, but with some big variations, and that's compared to their um, pre-season forecasts of around about 4 tonne to the hectare. So still early days, but uh, looking encouraging there in what's being done at the moment. So before you think it's all one-way traffic, I think UK prices now are bordering import parity, and there is a possibility of cheaper corn starting to figure to take out some of the shortfall what may occur in the UK wheat market. So it may be that our prices have reached a little bit of a plateau, and and, and yeah, this could well happen. We, you know, we, unless we see uh, further cuts in yield productions for the whole of the market structure. But this week we have seen seasons highs on November 18 wheat. So really, an interesting market. We will see, um, you know, the outcome of the US trade announcements and the details of their tariffs and how they'll be applied, and, and really how China will respond over the next week or so. So, if we have a quick look at prices, feed wheat old crop July 160 to 165. That's now trading as a discount as long holders look to clear out against the possibility of new crop arrivals. So, as available wheat 163 to 168, with November 168 to 175, and May 175 to 180. So, you know, there has been some interest as well, not surprisingly, on the 2019 crop. Uh, that's also rallied, trading the region of 165 to 170 pound ex farm for November 19 feed wheat and I think at this point it's a good reason to plant wheat and don't forget the old adage of high prices cure high prices and I don't think there'll be too much shortage of uh, area uh, of winter wheat going in the ground, weather permitting. Feed barley for harvest uh, around about 135 to 140 with November 18 140 to 145 x. Barley markets not responded quite as much at the moment as the wheat, largely due to the fact we'll have an exportable surplus, so we will need to compete internationally. But at this stage, it's difficult to know if we'll be selling that surplus as either malting barley or feed. Molsters have been making uh, a few inquiries over the past week, 10 days, but of course with very few offers coming forward. But values now improved to 185 to 190 for autumn collection for the better springs. All seed rape again, that's rallied throughout the week. Interesting interest from buyers, but for the time being uninterested sellers, I would say. £300 for harvest, uh, 305 to 310 for November. And that's about it, Sean. 
Thanks, Chris. Chris Spratt from Open Field. Now, as the dry spell continues, the effect is being felt in agriculture, with some crops wiltering in the heat, some maturing far quicker than planned, pushing harvest forward, which logistically does bring its own issues, and of course also concerns of a shortage in some UK vegetables. Lettuce is one that's been mentioned of late. Crisps are another, with some potato supplies a problem. Others are said to be at risk too, and it's not just here where farming is facing problems. So is it fair to presume we're facing a tough harvest ahead? What does agricultural chaplain Alan Robson think? Yeah, here we are at the beginning of July and we're heading towards the the harvest and we're still getting signs through the media um, that... You know, vegetable product is rotting in the fields. It just gets too hot. It doesn't grow anymore. It just uh, stagnates. It rots. Um, and so that's a, an issue in the UK, whether how the crops will come in this year. You know, we had a good, reasonably good start to the year, but this hot weather going on and on uh, may cause a bit of a problem. It happens. You can't predict the weather and it's happened before and a harvest will come in. But how good it will be is open to question. Globally, um, you know, I just got an email yesterday from Western Australia um, through an organisation called Movement um, appealing for prayer. Um, it is so desperate in Western Australia. Thousands upon thousands of acres caught in drought and the farming community are in pretty desperate straits in Australia. And you're right, Chris Elliott, who's been working on food integrity through Queen's University Belfast, it has highlighted these issues very substantially. You know, there there is a major crop failure somewhere on the planet every every month. And so these are issues, and some of that's climate, some of that's water shortage, some of it's warfare, some of it's migration. All of it combining together uh, causes problems in the food chain globally. And look at the carbon dioxide. You know, uh, the fertilizer plants uh, have not been operational, which uh, gives access to CO2, and, and we've suddenly ground to a halt in meat production and in the beer sales. Oh, that's tragedy. Um, so, you know, it, it is a problem, the interconnectedness. So we've got to find ways of facing that. And part of my chaplaincy is about thinking around those issues and raising the flag before we're in crisis. Quite the dilemma. Thank you, agricultural chaplain Alan Robson. Water is obviously crucial to overcoming the current weather, and the longer the dry weather continues, the higher the water bills will be, unless you've successfully harvested your own. GRH Water is one firm involved in offering such harvesting solutions, and they have a new idea aimed at rooftops. Michael Jordan is MD there. It's amazing when you speak to a farmer and say how much you spend on water, and some of them you get two answers. You get one that says, oh, I know exactly what I'm spending, it's too much. Or you get one that says, I don't know what I'm spending. And then when they go and look, they then realise how much they're spending. You've run a campaign recently saying, you know, imagine having a day on the farm without any water, and you just couldn't manage it, could you? No, no, I think you could take everything else away. Um, but if you didn't have water, obviously as a human, you need to drink. Livestock need to drink, plants need to drink. Um, even uh, vehicles and everything have water associated with it, even in the process of making things. So you take that out of the equation, everything's going to grind to a halt. So talk us through what happens then with the uh, the harvesting on the rooftops. Then. Well, uh, what happens is it, it rains, um, lands on the roof, goes into the gutters. <laughs> yes, um, I know that much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then goes through a filter. 
um, and then goes into the tank where it gets stored and then can be reused. And as you say, no one else is doing this at the moment. Uh, there's, there's not really anyone. There's people doing the sort of tank collections, but no one's sort of taking it to the next level. We've always been ahead of the game, always been innovating, always looking at new ways of collecting, new ways of getting more storage and ultimately saving money for the farms. Of course, Defra and Michael Gove particularly are talking about the environment a lot at the moment, aren't they? And I know you've been talking with, with Defra because what you're doing is environmental, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's... Um, they're, they're very interested in what we're doing um, we keep them in the loop of all the new solutions um, I'm always speaking to them about trying to get more grants and more funding for water and sort of try and have it as a standalone grant rather than tying in with stewardship and everything else just to make it easier for the farms Michael Jordan at JRH Water right on to agronomy then Sean Sparling is uh, back with us morning Sean well yes good morning Sean it is a good morning another good morning hot and dry once again no rain in the forecast and that not just as Alan says is going to have implications for the vegetable harvest and the the salad market this year that'll have implications for supply and costs and empty shelves in some respects I'm sure but it also has huge implications for the cereal harvest peas beans and uh, sugar beet potatoes all of these things are dependent on water some farms have the ability to irrigate and they are irrigating like Billio at the moment so they're going to be in a better position than the rest of us um, but it is these conditions will have uh, implications and they will have consequences a lot of these crops that went in early the spring wheat the spring barley they look okay they've gone in in good conditions nice and early linseeds the same peas are the same beans are the same anything that went in in good time february early march they look really well they've potted well and they're filling well it's the later ones which are the bigger issue the ones that went in at the end of april um, mid-April onwards really because they need rain to fill the grain before the sunshine ripens them. Winter wheat's got past that point, it's ripening quite nicely so I think the potential is still pretty much out there for winter wheat, winter barley and these early drilled cereal crops but the later ones, feeling them in the field the other day, the ears look good they're clean at the top, they're packing up down below because the consequence of a drought tends to be potash deficiency, nitrogen magnesium, manganese and the plants are trying to draw that out out of the older leaves in order to sustain the ear because the prime objective of any plant is to produce as much seed as it possibly can so it'll shut down its old leaves in order to protect the grain and produce that seed and that's what we're seeing in a lot of these fields i was out in ireland sunday monday looking at trials fungicide trials out there and they would normally get about 200 to 225 millimeters of rain between the first of april and the first of july and they've had less than 20 millimeters of rain it is absolutely dire even in Ireland um, they've got first cut silage yielding what third cut would normally yield second cut is non-existent spring barley eight inches tall and dead in the field absolutely white and to such an extent that actually the fungicide trials even though they've irrigated them they are there's no point anybody going out after this week because they're dead on their feet um, so it's not just us and that's going to have implications too because they've got this problem in France who've just dropped their forecast of the wheat harvest by four million tonnes Germany, uh, Canada, Australia, the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, America, all of these countries are having similar drought issues and that means supplies are going to be much lower, that means the good news is the price may well go up and quality will be worth a lot of money. So we have to take the good out of these things and understand there's nothing we can do about the weather. If it decides to rain we get wet, if it's dry we stay dry, we don't get wet. If it's foggy or snowy or blowy or it really doesn't matter, we get what we're given. This job 
job is 80% luck and 20% skill. It's that 20% skill that makes the difference between success and failure and understanding how to manage the season that has manifested itself amongst us. But we can't do anything about the weather. So it is worrying to see spring bean crops, pea crops, late drilled spring barley, late drilled spring wheat, late drilled linseed, sugar beet flat to the floor. It's worrying to see it, but there's very little we can do about it. The good thing is in peas and beans, it's so dry and hot that we're not getting problems with botrytis or grey moulds or mycosphorella. The disease levels are pretty low. There's a bit of downy mildew, but then it's blight weather. So we're always going to have a bit of downy mildew in this sort of weather. The thing to watch is the bugs and the grubs because they love this sort of weather. They go crackers. They proliferate. There's a lot of aphids. There's a lot of uh, hoverflies and lacewings and predatory wasps within these canopies who are feeding on these aphids. So unless you're getting to threshold, particularly black bean aphid, which is starting to colonise in a place or two in peas and in beans and indeed in sugar beet, unless you get close to threshold, let the ladybirds and all the other predators deal with that problem for you. Because, you know, a lot of these crops will now go to harvest with no more fungicide or insecticide required. And remember on peas and beans, you've only got one um, application of AFOX available to you. You can't use AFOX in cereals anymore um, and you can't use it in sugar beet anymore. So um, I was walking some sugar beet on the heath on Wednesday and I found silver wymoth, two caterpillars, but your threshold is five per plant. So no need to go charging out in the sugar beet to spray that. Disease-wise, nothing in sugar beet worth worrying about. Um, if you're putting foliar brews on to try and pep up these crops, bear in mind they may cost you a lot of money and they may do no good whatsoever because it is water that these crops need. So, um, desiccation or pre-harvest management of all seed rape underway. There are people desiccating with Reglone. Remember, glyphosate is not a desiccant. It's a harvest management tool and it simply fast forwards the ripening process. You do need some green in the crop in order to help the glyphosate and get the glyphosate to work. So some of these crops which have gone really quickly, you may well be able to simply direct combine them. Make that decision yourself. Um, and as I said last week, podstick, I'm simply not convinced. Speak to your advisor, speak to your agronomist, um, but there's there's not enough con conclusive work for me to say that it is worth worthwhile to put it on and that it does everything on the tin. Glyphosate will, after all, leather the crop, and if you do put something in with glyphosate, put something in like a, a, a Vespa or a Companion Gold, something which polymerizes the water, and that gets you better coverage within the canopy because the green is largely down low. And remember, most of the seeds in the middle pod want to be brown, and that's bang on timing, but you do need a little bit of green in there. So it's very concerning we are worried but there's nothing we can do by worrying we can only take what mother nature hands to us this year she's handing us a lot of hot a lot of dry weather so we just have to hope that things aren't as bad as they look in the field and that we're worrying about absolutely nothing let's hope that's the case thank you sean sparling of sparling agronomy services the farming program five-day forecast well, if there is any rain, it won't last for long. Uh, sunshine mostly today, 25 the high. The wind from the north, uh, 5 to 10 miles an hour. Clear skies for a time overnight tonight, though it will become more overcast after midnight. Quite a muggy night ahead, though. We're looking at lows of around 16 Celsius. The wind barely noticeable as well from the southeast at about 5 miles an hour. More in the way of cloud tomorrow, a bit cooler, 20 the high, the wind from the northeast, 10 miles an hour. Sunny end to the day though and clear skies overnight, temperatures down to 8 Celsius, the wind from the north at about 5 miles an hour. Tuesday itself starts with some cloud but it will clear to bring a mostly sunny day, 19 the high, the wind from the north, northeast at about 15 miles an hour and then again dry overnight, lows of 9, that wind from the north at about 5 miles an hour. 
Some cloud to start Wednesday, but then another sunny day. We're looking at highs of 21 Celsius, the wind from the north-northeast at 10 miles an hour. And then for the latter end of the week, more of the same. Could be warming up again, temperatures maybe hitting mid-20s once again. Overnight lows of around 9 Celsius, with the wind mostly from the north. And that's the forecast. It's the Great Yorkshire Show this coming week, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday at the showground near Harrogate. A good chance to win a few more prizes if you're showing your livestock. Uh, next week on the programme, a young farmer who's done all right for this show season already with winning fleece and winning Southdown sheep. If to start with, you have to cut your fleeces. You have to shear them in February, about late February or mid. Then you'll go two weeks before the show, you'll wash them. Out of their own shampoo. You will bring them in. Recommend going early because it's not as busy. You have to bed them and everything yet because with fle- free fleeces, you can tell are the sheep happy? Is it? Do they actually, are they actually enjoying themselves? You can because if they're not happy, you can tell right through it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, yes. More from twelve-year-old farmer Jack Bowles next week. And as harvest is now getting in full swing, we'll hear from Tom Bradshaw from the NFU on the Your Harvest campaign. We have to keep on reminding Michael Gove, we want to embrace environmental delivery, but first and foremost, we're food producers, Mm. and feeding the nation is something that we have a responsibility Mm. to do, Mm. but also he has a huge opportunity to be the minister that repatriates food production to the UK, and when people look back in history, it could be Michael Gove that they remember for driving food security and a profitable food production sector in the UK. That's at the same time next week. Until then, have a good week's farming.